Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that, I don't know if that excites you, but I, I'm pretty excited about kind of getting get a lot of that done. I mean, we stay on the grind over there. I have to give a shout out to some folks just because, like, Drucey and Willard practically live over here now. I don't know if you realize that. They're here uh, day and night picking up inmates, and, and believe it or not, you know, we had some professional painters look at that tile on the wall and say, ha, you can't paint that. And we said, uh, just watch this right here. <laughs> and we went down to the jail and picked up some inmates, and we painted every last square inch of it. Uh, and, and, um, and then, you know, we've, we've installed heat and air units left and right, and, and those are guys here. You can't imagine the labor we've saved, the, the money we've saved just in labor, because basically Sheb and Brian Jackson and Jeremy and myself, you know, of course, it's really, it's really me behind the construction, you know. <laughs> I mean, I need you guys to know that. Uh, uh, it's really not, but uh, but I can help every now. Even those columns out there—that's that's that's the masterful construction of Brian Jackson and Sheb Centers with the help of me handing a screw to them every now and then. And uh, so so the Lord's blessed us to get to this point. And like I said, you know, depending on what you feel the Lord led to give, leading you to give in that, our goal is to, we want to finish the blacktop parking lot. We're actually still in process. We have some flooring still that we've not paid for. We've got to renovate bathrooms. We've got to buy some stalls. And some things are very uniquely expensive at this time. I don't know if you guys realize that, like things are a little bit higher than usual. But the Lord has blessed us, so we're doing really well. And I'm just, I'm just grateful for all that the Lord has done in the past few years and the things that he's allowed us uh, to do. But I think, you know, getting our facilities in that condition is going to facilitate us moving forward in the vision that God has for us as a ministry here in the church. And so it's a, it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm just thankful for the people that have poured into it and for you guys being generous. So, again, pray about that. And, uh, and let's just see what the Lord does in this second patch. I know, I know like the black top out here, you guys probably don't even know, want to know how much it costs, but like the, they say roughly, uh, you know, it'd probably be about $100,000 <laughs> to black top the rest of this. I don't know if, you get, if that like just blows your mind or not, but that's just the way that black top costs. So uh, obviously that's why we want, we're asking just to, for you to be prayerful about uh, giving into that. So amen. Praise God. Yeah. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're in a, a sermon series on prayer. So let's just switch gears here just for a minute. I'm going to start out in the book of Luke chapter 22. And really, I just want to go to like different sections in Scripture that really aren't even necessarily tied together except for the fact that it reveals something to us about prayer. And I want to speak to you this morning about the perils of prayerlessness. And that's one of the ways that you know uh, you're a pastor because you've got really good alliteration, the perils of prayerlessness. Uh, so let's, can we just pray together before we dive into this? Father, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing. We thank you, God, that, uh, that you guide us, that you lead us, that you give us direction. And, Lord, that you provide the resources that we need. We thank you, Lord, that you are saving souls. Lord God, we thank you that today we've got two more baptisms. We've got more baptisms coming up in the weeks to come, God, that you're, you're reaching out, Lord, through the ministry of, of this church to touch people's lives and, and to save souls and to, and, to, and to just transform hearts, God. And so this morning, Lord, you know every need in this house. You know every heart. And we just pray, Lord, that you would move by your spirit, that you would illuminate your word. And, God, you would change us by it. And, Lord, we just put all of our trust in you this morning, God. You provide everything that we need spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. 
physically and even financially, God, you are our provider. And so we put our trust in you and we ask you to move through your word in power this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, there, there's a high. We, we've talked about prayer over the last few weeks, and I don't know if this has done anything to stir anything fresh and new in your soul, whether or not like it's caused you to actually take your prayer life into consideration and make some practical changes on a daily basis. But one of the things that the Lord really shared with me this week as I'm studying Scripture is that there's a high cost to prayerlessness. Like there is a price that is paid when God's people don't pray. Even in our personal lives, when we lack prayer, there are certain things, there are certain vulnerabilities that are opened up in our life, and we become vulnerable to the enemy. And we've got to be aware of this because Jesus invites us into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And there's actually one statement that made in Scripture, which honestly, when you read it, you think, I don't even know if that's possible. But Paul said in the book of 1 Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing. And that's, when I think about that, I think, man, how do you even do that? How do you even pray without ceasing? And I think it's God inviting us into a relationship where we become aware of something. Because there are moments, and here's what I noticed about our church and even in my own life. When I first got saved and I was single and I didn't have kids and I didn't have that many responsibilities, son, I could carve out three hours in prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Like I could go out in the woods and pray all day if I needed to on certain days. But then my life changed and certain things came in. And in our prayer life, we want those moments alone with God. And I'm going to say this, you've got to have them. You've got to have time in the secret place. If you carve out 30 minutes, if you carve out one hour during the week, something you do in order to say, I've got a date with God, and I'm spending some time alone in the secret place with my Heavenly Father. You've got to have that. But from that place, it positions your heart so that throughout the day, you learn to pray without ceasing. You learn that when you're at work, your heart is still turned toward God so that there's no action, no conversation that you're in that you're not aware that the Lord is there with you. And even in your heart and in your mind, you can just shoot a prayer to God. And you're maintaining communion with Him throughout the day. One guy who was real busy, who was a pastor, he said something like this to a, to a mother that was really, really struggling with the fact that she couldn't pray like she used to because she was dealing with her kids and her work and all this. And he said, listen here, honey, I want you to understand something. Even in my life, as busy as I am nowadays, he said, I never pretty much pray for an hour, but there's never an hour that I don't pray. Now, that's a big difference, isn't it? Because you may not be able to sit down and pray for an hour with your busy schedule, but there should never be an hour throughout the day that you do not pray. And so no matter what we're doing, we're looking for those moments to be alone with God, but we're moving into a relationship where we have communion with God, where we are praying without ceasing. And so prayerlessness, I'm going to say this, it has effects on our lives that honestly we're not even aware of. Like most people will say, well, this is going on in my life. This is the addiction that I'm struggling with. This is what's happening in my family. These, these are the challenges that I'm going through. And we try to get to the root of the problem. And we say, well, this is the root of the problem. Or we blame this person or we blame this institution or we blame the shape of the world. And we put blame other places. But really, if you get down to the root of it, the core issue is our relationship with God. And the fact that these things are unraveling is because of prayerlessness. Because prayerlessness, the reason our world is in the shape that it's in, and I mean, we could get all political in this, but you know, we did shut prayer out of schools a long time ago. We pushed prayer back out of certain things in our nation. We try to keep church and state separate, but I need you to understand that God should never be separate from anything in your life. God should never be separate from anything in your life. And the enemy knows that if I can push prayer back, 
If I can push, if I can push relationship with God back, it's going to leave the entire world vulnerable to the influence that I want to have in their lives. And he's trying to push prayer back in your life. So there's several passages that I want to cover today. Beginning in Luke 22, Jesus, you remember, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And man, I think about this story so regularly, and I I think about Jesus entering into the garden the night before he's going to be uh, going to the cross to die for our sins. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The weight of all of the sin of the world is on him. It says that the Lord laid our sin and our iniquity upon him. And he sweat great drops of blood. So physically, the weight of the sin of the world and the stress that he was under in that moment as the Son of God, God in the flesh but still human, caused his sweat capillaries to burst. He was under such extreme stress. Can you imagine? I mean, some of y'all, y'all been stressed this week. Did y'all's sweat capillaries burst anybody this week? No, not this week, no. Uh, but, but he was under that kind of stress, and he comes to this position where he's praying to God, and he's warning his disciples. He says, many of you are actually going to fall away tonight on account of me. And he's preparing them, and he goes into this place to pray, and he takes them into the garden with him to pray. He warns Peter that tonight you're going to deny me three times. And here's what it says in Luke 22, verse 41. It says, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Man, what a prayer. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. I like the fact that every now and then there's some angels out there on dispatch that will come and strengthen me when I don't know how I'm going to carry on any further. And he says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, one of the things that's so interesting about this is it's a moment in Peter's life where Jesus is warning him that you're going to fall away because of me. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. But it's almost as if in this moment, now I, I, don't, I don't deny that Jesus understands that this is going to happen. He, I, I don't know the ramifications of all that he understands, but it's almost as if he's offering them an opportunity to receive strength so that they don't fall away. He says, if you boys would rise and pray, the temptation that is about to come on your life, you could actually avoid if you would be in prayer because you would be able to receive strength and wisdom from the position of prayer so that when the temptation comes, you will be able to resist it. Now, this is so important in our spiritual lives because I'm telling you, temptation is coming for each and every one of us, and it is coming in a deeper form than ever before. Right now, you have social media and all sorts of of demonic waves that are influencing people this way and that way, and temptation is, look, folks, I'm tempted on occasion. I don't know where you stand, but I'm human, and the devil is coming after my soul the same way he's coming after yours. And he's saying, I need you to rise and pray lest you enter into this place of testing. He's saying, I want to give you access to strength. The word 
Temptation is an interesting word. I've shared this before in the Greek language. It's the word pirazzo. And it basically means this because it can be translated different words. Like it's translated temptation in some places. It's translated testing in some places. It's translated trial in some places. What we know about God is that God is perfect light. In Him is no darkness at all. And He cannot tempt you with evil. God will not tempt you. He cannot tempt you with evil. However, He will allow the devil to come in on some certain circumstances and He will allow the devil to tempt you and He will put you through a test and a trial, but it's with the intention of strengthening you so that you can be His vessel on the earth to overcome the devil. Amen. He says, I got the devil down there roaming around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But guess what? I want you to come into a place of prayer so that when the devil comes to tempt, it may be a test for you, but it only strengthens you and you come out like gold and you put the devil up under your feet because you drew power from heaven through prayer. So essential. And the problem is he comes... And the temptation comes, and we've not been in prayer, so we're open. We're vulnerable to attack as they were on that night. Now, heart condition will take a circumstance and make it a temptation. Do you realize that because of a heart, because of what is in a person's heart, for example, if, if I'm sitting there with my buddy, and I meet up with some kind of, you know, something in my heart, and we're watching the same television show, and something comes on the screen, because this thing is in my heart... I say, let's keep on watching this a little bit. But the other guy says, no, man, we need to turn that off. Why? Because it's not in his heart. Temptation arises because of the condition of your heart. Nothing changes the condition of your heart like communion with God. What he's saying is, as you can pray, God will change your heart. Temptation weakens, and he's uprooting certain things in your heart so that when that door is open, those certain doors are open, you're able to resist those moments of temptation. But see, those moments come, it's interesting, that word parazzo, like I said, it actually, if you were to have a definition for it, the definition could be a set of circumstances that comes to reveal the actual truth about who you are. See, in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, the pressure comes on Jesus, he's put to the test. When he was outside in the wilderness, tempted by Satan, he was put to the test. But what did we find? He was proved to be the Son of God. He didn't fall under temptation. Even though he's saying, Lord, not my will but yours be done, he submits to God's will. He proves to be the Son of God. But see, what happens to the disciples is what's really on the inside of them comes out. Fear comes out. Anxiety comes out. Apostasy comes out. All of these things start to come out because they were put under this set of circumstances. And here's what I want you to understand is that prayerfulness, there's certain doors in your life. Here's the thing. I don't know how to explain this really well, but there's certain doors in your life. I, I know of certain moments in my life that would have been life altering. I mean, like serious moments where in those moments I realize I am at a fork in the road. And I went into prayer in those moments, and honestly, I'm going to take this path. But in prayer, the Lord reveals to me, do not go down that path. I realize that if I open that door, it's going to take me into a place that will ultimately lead me into temptation and possibly lead me astray from the will of God. And in prayer, I realize I need not open that door. I have an awareness that I must go this place. See, because there's certain doors that are going to come in your life, and prayerfulness is the only thing that's going to give you the wisdom to see behind that door. 
to know that's not the step that I need to take. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you remember Elisha, they're in a great battle, and, he, and one of his servants are like, man, we're going to be overcome, we're going to be destroyed. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see, because there are more for us than there are that are against us. And the Lord, through prayer, opens his eyes, and he sees the warriors and the angels of God on the mountains and chariots of fire, and he realizes that we are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle, but without prayer, you don't see what's going on behind the scenes, and you, are, you become prey to the enemy's devices and tactics. Prayerlessness robs you of strength. Prayerlessness robs you of creativity. It robs you of wisdom. It robs you of holiness, and it robs you of power. He says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And I want you to understand something about this too because we're, pray- we're talking about prayer and a lot of times when we talk about prayer, we're talking about we want results, don't we? When we talk about prayer, we're saying, you know what, we need to- we're asking God for this, we're believing God for this, we're binding that. I was talking about talking to Craig yesterday, and we, 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 were, we were talking about end times and all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that we came to the conclusion on, just like we said last week about the will of God, there's certain things in your life, it don't matter if you bind it, it don't matter if you cast it out, it don't matter. There's certain things that are going to happen whether you pray for it or not. The Lord coming back, you can pray and say, Lord, don't come back, hold off. It don't matter, He's coming back. There's certain things that are said in God's plan and will that you ain't going to be able to change regardless. And in this certain circumstance, Jesus cries out and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, if anybody could have changed the circumstance in prayer, it would have been the Son of God. Would you say amen to that? We saw that his prayers changed circumstances. The man rebuked a storm and it ceased. That's powerful prayer. The man would speak to dead bodies and they'd come to life. That is powerful prayer. The man could pray and shift circumstances, but there comes a moment in everybody's life that in prayer, the prayer is no longer about shifting circumstances. The prayer is about your will bending to the will of God. The prayer is no longer about God change this circumstance, change this thing, change this. No, it's about your heart submitting to the will of God and you declaring, Lord, I'm coming into a place of prayer because I cannot do this on my own. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And imagine a man striving over the will of God for his life so badly, coming into the will of God for his life that he's sweating great drops of blood to take the sin of the, of the world upon himself. And as he's praying, here's what happens. An angel comes and strengthens him as he's sweating great drops of blood. It says that he cried out with vehement cries in, in Hebrews 5, with passionate cries to the one that could deliver his soul from death, but yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And what I'm telling you is there's a place in prayer where God's saying, I need, this is the will of God for your life. And I know you don't want to do it. I know it doesn't feel comfortable. But in prayer, you're going to find the power to submit to the will of God and carry it out in your life. And I love it because when he gets done, he rises up with so much strength that the Roman soldiers come in to arrest him. And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Is he here? And he said, if you read it, it says, I am he, like in the King James Version. The he's italicized. You know why? Because it ain't there. All he says is, I am. And when he says, I am, it says that, that they fell down on their faces under the power of God. He had, he had tapped into the resources of heaven and was operating in the power of God. I want you to understand something. They didn't arrest and kill him. He laid down his life because he was submitted to God's will. He laid it down. And there's going to be moments 
where you have to do this, but in the same context, Jesus said, guess what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Every one of you all in here, you want, I believe you all want to do the will of God. I believe you want what God has for your life. But Jesus says, could you not watch with me one hour? And I think there's something to an hour in prayer. I really do. I think there's something to that. Because when you pray, you strengthen the spirit inside of you. And you deny the flesh, but he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh is going to come to destroy the will of God in your life. Pray lest you enter into temptation. Let me go move completely to a different point. You guys ready? I'm just moving through some perils of prayerlessness. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 45. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. How many of y'all you done good this week to those who hate you? And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Now there's an exhortation to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Isn't that interesting? How many of you do really well on this? Like, man, I just spend hours in prayer just praying for people that hate my guts. Uh, no, we do the opposite. We spend a lot of our time talking about people who dislike us, talking about why they dislike us and why we dislike them and why they're dumb and why they're ignorant and why they ought to be taken out somewhere and just put down. Amen. Let's just be real, right? Come on. You know, and some of y'all with me, some of you ain't. I don't know. But he's giving you an invitation. Here's, what he's not saying is you need to pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you so that you can be saved and born again. He actually says pray for those who use you, spitefully use you, and persecute you so that you can be the children of God. And I'm thinking, but aren't we already the children of God? I got saved and I became the child of God. And here's the, here's the thing, here's the, the balance and the tension. Because when people get saved, man, we love to declare these identity statements and say, I'm a child of God, I have no fear, and, and yada, yada, yada. But there's a big difference between making a declaration and it being who you are. There's a big difference between saying I'm a child of God and then hating somebody out in the world. Because Scripture says you can say you're a child of God all you want, but when you have hate in your heart, you're of the evil one. Isn't that interesting? So on some level, I, 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 I accept completely the fact that when I got saved, I still got some sanctification to take place. You know what I'm saying? I'm not perfect yet. I've got some hate. I've got some anger. I've got some lust and some addictions after I get saved that need to be worked out. But Jesus is inviting you and he's saying, you want to know when you fully know that all of heaven and all of earth and the demons and the angels and the spirit world and the people around you know that you're actually literally really a child of God. It's when you can pray for those who are in opposition to you. Isn't that powerful? And so I wonder if, you know, if we've even reached into a place. You know, the Bible actually says in Romans 8 that the entire creation is groaning for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth itself literally is crying out to see the children of God to come into the full manifestation of who God's called them to be. And what he's saying is that there's certain things that aren't released. Like, like here's what I want to say about this, is that God wants to do some amazing things in our church. He wants to do some amazing things through the church worldwide. But he cannot pour out certain things on his church 
because they cannot receive the inheritance that he wants for them until their heart is in a position like his was when he was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Stephen displayed this as he was being stoned to death at the feet of Paul when he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing up and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's saying, if you want to receive the full inheritance of your father as a son or daughter of God, move into a place in your prayer life where you learn to take time to pray for those who are in opposition to you. Pray for people who hate you. Pray for people who have spoke evil against you. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying pray for them and say, Lord, expose them. They're evil. Lord, cut down their ministry in this community. No, that's not prayer. That's not what he's talking about. When people speak evil of you, you need to bless them. You need to speak blessing over them. You need to pray blessing over them until your heart turns and you actually desire for them what God desires for them. Regardless if they persecute you or not, because when they killed Jesus, he truly in his heart wanted what was best for them in that moment. And he's saying you need to come into a place of prayer and it will unlock and reveal you as a true child of God. Your heart will be changed and you will be able to receive a greater inheritance from heaven of what God wants to do in your life. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Something is unlocked when we come into that place and we begin to pray. James 4, 2. Let's move to another one. The perils of prayerlessness. See, I would say... The fact that we don't pray about those and pray for those who hurt us, pray for those who are, who are, I mean, we're honestly known by who we're against a lot of times. The people that we don't like, the people that we feel like are opposed to us. And, and the peril of prayerlessness is that we're missing something as the children of God because we don't pray for those who are in opposition to us. James 4.2 says this. It says, you lust or you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Can you say that? You do not have because you do not ask. Got one. Yeah, amen. Amen. You do not have because you do not ask. And Scripture points something out that prayerlessness actually creates and fuels lack in our life and here's what I found out about the Lord is a lot of times I'm waiting on the Lord to do certain things and the Lord's waiting on me to do something I, I don't know if you've realized that in your journey with God but a lot of times I'm sitting back waiting on God to do this waiting on God to do that and he and he'll come and he's waiting on me to do something so many things I will sit and complain about and be aggravated about and talk about and moan about and then all of a sudden I realize man I ain't even prayed about this anybody amen me and then I will pray and I will watch God change it like that. And he does one of two things. Either he changes me so that I submit to the suffering that I'm currently going through or he literally moves the situation and causes it to change. And I've seen him do it just because I asked. I've seen him do it just because I finally brought it to him in prayer. But see, here's the thing. When you pray, I want you to understand that casual prayers often get casual results. Like, like we just kind of, kind of, well, you know, we pray, pray our Lord bless the food and bless Uncle Tom, you know, thank you, God. And we go on. Well, I mean, has, did that, you know, do your prayers even move you? Do your prayers even move you when you pray? Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, it is, is well said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. Nothing brings such leanness into a man's soul as lack of prayer. 
I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. In other words, if you want cheap answers to prayer, pray some cheap prayers. You want some soft answers, pray some soft prayers. But if your heart is moved with passion and you call upon the Lord and you pray with fervency and intensity the same way that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when your heart is moved, it moves the heart of God. It moves heaven when you're moving here on earth. And he's saying, come to God with fervency. Matter of fact, there, somebody said one time that God's phone number was Jeremiah 33.3 because it says, call unto me. The word call means to cry from the heart. To call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which you have not known. And the mighty things there is a Hebrew word that means fenced in, hidden, and inaccessible things. He's saying there are things that right now are inaccessible to you. They're hidden, you do not see them. But when your heart is moved and you call upon me and cry out to me, I will answer you and I will pull back the veil and I will show you great and inaccessible things which you have not known to this point. God wants to show you something, but he's going to release it through prayer. Luke 18, let's go to another one. Y'all good with me so far? The powers of prayerlessness, the perils of prayerlessness. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, it says, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So he's telling a parable saying, You guys need to keep praying and don't give up. And he says, There was a certain city, uh, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So there's a picture that Jesus gives here about praying and not giving up. And he's saying... There's this widow, right, that she continues to come to this unjust judge, banging on the door, avenge me and my adversary. The judge is in there saying, man, I, I, I'm not helping this woman out. I'm tired. But finally he says within himself, this woman ain't going to shut up. She ain't going to leave me alone. So I'm going to do this and help her and avenge her of her adversary lest she wears me out. And he's using it as a parable, not to say that God is this way, but to say that prayer is this way. That somehow or another, you need to understand, you've got a God who is a Father who loves you, who wants to answer your prayers. He's not an unjust judge, but he's saying this is how prayer works, and persistence is what actually brings breakthrough in prayer. And so what I want you to understand is just like we said, there's two different keys to, to like the sovereignty of God because there's some things that God, that's going to happen and you won't change no matter how much you pray, but the more you pray, you will be able to submit to God's will in that point. But there are some prayers that will only be changed if you continue in that prayer. Things will only be changed if you continue. Now here's the problem with that. Is that, see, there's literally a tipping point in prayer where the answer is released and it comes speedily. And I, I think about this because I'm thinking, he, he talks about the answer coming speedily. I'm thinking, well, I prayed about this, Lord, for a year or more. This don't seem speedily to me. But what, what I need you to understand is that Speedily to God is different than speedily to you. You know that? 
Like, I mean, he gives Abraham a promise. Takes a man quite a long time for that promise to be fulfilled. God speedily is different, but I want you to understand that in prayer, when I'm praying, there comes a tipping point where the answer is released, and when the answer is released, it comes speedily. It comes in that moment, but I have to get to that place in prayer through persistence for that release to come. And prayerlessness allows the absence of breakthrough to become the norm. Put that up there. Prayerlessness allows the absence of breakthrough to become the norm. So again, sometimes we pray and things aren't going to change. And we do chalk a lot of those things up to the sovereignty of God. Amen. But I want you to understand that you don't need to chalk every unanswered prayer up to the sovereignty of God because what some people do is they pray, the answer doesn't come, so they lose heart and they give up and they say it must have been God's will. What I'm saying is that God is saying here that His will is not going to be done in certain circumstances unless we persist in prayer. So you see the tension there that God is saying, yes, there's some things I'm going to do, you need to submit to it. But God is also saying there's some things I want done and you need to persist in prayer. And we need to discern the difference of what is God doing that we need to relinquish control to and what is God wanting to do that we need to persist in prayer until the breakthrough comes. We cannot allow no breakthrough, nothing happening, God never moving, no one ever getting saved to become the norm because we prayed one time and it didn't happen immediately when we prayed. Now, we have to continue in persistence, knocking, seeking, asking, saying, Lord, we want to see this happen on earth as it is in heaven. He gives us that tension of prayer in that moment. We talked about it last week in Matthew 6. He says, don't use vain repetitions. Your Father knows what you have need of. When it comes to necessity, your Father's good, man. He knows what you have need of. I can ask Him for a coat and I can ask Him for food one time and know that He's my Father. He's going to meet that need. I ain't got to sit here and beg Him. But there's certain things when it comes to dreams, when it comes to what God wants to do in our ministry, when it comes to the gifts of God on our life, when it comes to God changing dramatic circumstances in our life and leading us down this place that God has for us, that He's saying, I want to give you these things, but it's the persistent prayer that is going to unlock those doors in your life. That persistent prayer, you know, there's certain things. I'll, I'll say it like this. I heard a guy say it like this one time. He said, when you ask for the big thing from God, oftentimes He gives you the answer in seed form. You ask for the oak tree, but He gives you the acorn. And see, because when you ask for that big thing, He gives you the acorn because He needs you to plant it, water it, steward it into growth so that you can be the kind of person with the right character through persistent prayer to actually receive the oak tree when it comes. I mean, just for example, we could pray, Lord, we want to just see the entire county saved and our church just to grow and bust beyond the seams. Would we be able to handle that if it happened? Would we be able to steward and disciple the entire county if God gave it to us? But if we ask, He starts to pour it out in seed form. And we see people getting saved and lives being transformed and growth happening. And He's saying, I'm growing you and maturing you into the kind of person now that has the character to steward greater asks in the future. Amen. So we're praying for this breakthrough and believing God. Luke 11, let's move on to another one. Luke eleven twenty four, 24. Interesting scripture here. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. 
Now, you know, the scripture says that the, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit flows from us like rivers of living waters. And when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, where does he go? He goes into dry places seeking rest. That's why demons love to hang out at some churches. Because some of them are dry. That's why, and here's the thing. When you're in your home, the spiritual atmosphere, is it dripping wet with the presence and the dew of heaven? Or is it dried up from the flesh of this world? Because demons are attracted to dry places. They don't want to get wet with the Holy Spirit. They don't, they're not interested in getting rained on. I'm telling you right now, you come to this worship night tonight, and we actually engage in one heart and one mind and begin to pray and worship God, rain will start falling spiritually from heaven. And demons that are attacking your life will say, I can't hang out in here. It's too wet, and they'll leave. They'll say, I'm going to go into some dry places and seek some rest and come out of this. But it's interesting because he says, I'm going to return. He finds no rest. He says, I'm going to return from the house from which I came. And if you, if you notice, he, he comes back. Scripture talks about, like in Ephesians 4, to give no place to the devil. Talking to actually the most mature church in the New Testament. The church at Ephesus was the most mature church. And he tells the most mature church, don't give a place to the devil. In other words, Christian, listen to me, you have an opportunity to give a place to the devil in your life. I'm not talking about he's going to possess you. I'm talking about he's giving, you're giving him a position of influence in your soul. It's quite possible. Many people give place to the devil through the actions, through what they come into agreement with. And you remember in the book of Nehemiah, they're trying to build the wall up in Jerusalem. And Tobiah, one of the enemies, you know where he goes? He goes into the inner courts, into the Holy of Holies, into the temple. And he takes some of the rooms of the storehouses for his own possession. He says, I want to get into the temple. Satan wants to get into the temple of God. Do you realize that in the new covenant, the temple of God is not the building. The temple of God is you and your body. And he's saying, I'm going to go back to the house from which I came and find it all clean and swept. Here's what he actually says in Luke 11, same one, verse 25. It says, when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. And then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. In other words, you can be an individual who is, God, Jesus saves your soul. He sets you free. Addictions are gone. Certain things are gone. But because you don't put the furniture back into the house that needs to be there, he comes back and he finds it empty. And he says, this is vacant. This is open. And this is why prayerlessness, I need you to understand, creates vacancy in the heart of a person. Prayer in your life is like the living room couch and the two recliners. You know what I'm talking about? I need you to hear me this morning. And, and the devil walks into your house and sees that there ain't nothing in there. There's a vacant sign held up that says, there's no spirit of God here. There's no dew of heaven here because we're not praying. We're not seeking the Lord. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You are the house of the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you're not praying and in communion with God, basically you're putting up a vacant sign that says, come in, have your way, I'm open. 
You house, you, you furnish this house through relationship with God. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can look throughout church history and even most of our universities, here's what's interesting, most of our universities today, they came in and they started as Christian universities who sent missionaries throughout the entire world and those same universities who were thwarted by demonic opposition, whenever those demonic opposition left, they came back with seven more spirits more wicked than themselves and our universities are now in far worse condition than when they were in the beginning. Because, and it's become a seedbed of false doctrine and false ideology that is being pumped into our world at a demonic rate. Amen. But prayerlessness creates vacancy in the heart of a person. And here's the last scripture I want to share with you about the perils of prayerlessness. But 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 21 through 23, it says, And do not turn aside... For then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you His people. Notice this. Moreover, as from, for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? People talk about all the time, you know, well, I'm not, I'm doing this thing, but I'm not convicted. Or, or I, I'm doing that, but, but I, I, is that, I mean, is that sin? He's talking about the fact that you're not praying for the people that you have a responsibility to pray for being sin. That's missing the mark of God. And this prophet is saying, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray. And I'm not sure I understand all of that, but I do understand that this. I understand that prayerlessness is actually a forfeiture of our God-given responsibility. That when we call ourselves Christians and we're not praying, we have forfeited who we are as sons and daughters of God to access the kingdom of heaven, to commune with our Heavenly Father, to be filled with His Holy Spirit, to be an expression of God's glory in the earth. And he's saying, you forfeited your responsibility. And this prophet has an awareness that when he comes and he recognizes something is going wrong in a situation, that for him to not pray for them would actually be sin in his own life. And he's saying, I need you to understand the weightiness of the responsibility that you have as a child of God, that God is calling you into a place of prayer because your prayer changes things. Your prayer releases the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. There are some things, I'm listen, listen to me, some things this morning you need to submit to. And for many of you that you've not submitted your life to Jesus this morning and you're just sort of doing your own thing and you're saying, I, 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 think, I think, Lord, not your will, but my will be done in my own life. That's going to be your first prayer is that you need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I realize that I've sort of put the label of Christian on my life, but I've actually chosen my own will for my life. And I want to come into a place where I realize exactly what you've done for me, Jesus. You came and you saw me in my sinfulness. You saw me in my brokenness. And you went to the cross and you shed your blood. And in that Garden of Gethsemane, when you were praying and sweating great drops of blood, it was because my sin was placed on you. But you prayed through to receive strength and hang on the cross and bear the penalty of my sin so that I could inherit eternal life and be saved. And that's what he's saying. And for you this morning, that's what he wants you to pray. That first prayer is, Lord, not my will, but your will be done.
not my will, but your will be done in my life. Can we bow our heads to the Lord? Can we, can we pray that together this morning? Because I have no idea what you're going through. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. The Lord knows. But God is moving in, in hearts and souls. And so often the thing that we do is because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh takes control of our lives. And we say, Lord, not your will. Let my will be done right now. But I'm saying right now the Holy Spirit is calling you and He's saying, no, I need you to surrender. I need you to relinquish control. And I need you to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. I want you to say that to Him. I want you to let go and relinquish control this morning. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life. I surrender to you, Lord. I confess my sin to you. God, not just the sins of the flesh that are so blatant that we commit, but the, sin, the sins of the things that we've omitted, that we've, that we've ceased praying, that we've ceased seeking your face, Lord. We bring those to you this morning as sin, and we just confess it, and we say, Lord, forgive us. And in your mercy, God, we're asking you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, Jesus, but you're drawing them by your Spirit, I pray this, this morning they would surrender their lives to you. They'd say, Lord, save my soul. Forgive me of my sins. I confess you as Lord of my life. I give you everything, and I declare not my will, but your will be done in my life. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen us. Lord, there's people that are weak here this morning, and I'm praying that as they pray, just as Jesus prayed, would you send angels, God, to strengthen us to do what you've called us to do? To do what you've called us to do. God, you are good. You are all-powerful. You are in control. But you called us to a life of surrender. And so I pray that you would work that this morning in every heart as we respond to you. Holy Spirit, we're open to you. In Jesus' name, I want you to stand to your feet. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, take this moment to respond to Him. Take this moment. Don't, don't bypass this moment. Because I believe this is a moment of consecration for many people. That's just what I sense in my spirit. We say, Lord, I want to enter into this place of prayer. I want to enter into this place where, where I'm, I'm not having all of these things robbed from me. And I'm entering into a place of temptation. And I'm fighting battles that I shouldn't even have to be fighting because I've lost my relationship with you. And so the Lord's just inviting you into that space. But can we take a moment here? For those of you that need prayer for something, I just ask you to come around this altar. We'll pray for you if you need it. You can bow down at the altar. You can bow down at your seat and pray. You can lift your hands and worship. But let's just take some time here to respond to the Lord as they sing, okay? Just respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.